Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Man, aren't you glad you got out of bed this morning? Come on, what a fun Sunday morning. And it just keeps getting better for me. I stand out here, I open my notes, and, and across the top, a handwritten note, preach it, praying for you, Pastor Bernie. We have a phenomenal pastor, do we not? Yes, we do. Last, uh, last week after service, I got a text message from some friends of ours that are still up in Washington, and uh, they just said, hey, it was great to see Tyler leading worship, great to see Wendy, not a word about me. Um, and then she said, Pastor Bernie was dropping bombs, like he was on fire. I said, yeah, that's what we call Sunday morning. Um, and I, I agree. I was so excited about last week's message, I wanted to share some of my notes with you. Uh, and then it occurred to me that nobody, including myself, can read my handwriting. So, um, yeah. It makes sense to me sometimes. So I'm just going to share with you a couple of the things that I wrote down in that hieroglyphic there uh, that Pastor Bernie shared with us last week. Uh, first thing that I wrote down is the concern you carry often reveals the calling you'll embrace. He was saying, if God shows you something, if you see it, if you feel about it, you're probably called to do something about it. Then he said, Nehemiah was an ordinary man with great compassion. Concern for the needs of others propels us outside of the, the comfort zone that we like to live in and into the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Then he said, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. No Christ follower, no disciple is called to sit on the sidelines, but Jesus invites us all to get in the game with him. And then finally, he said this, and this this one really resonated. He said, a vision without a plan is just a wish. And Nehemiah is the story of a man who had a vision. And his vision looks something like this. He, He felt God calling him to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. I think I've got a picture of that for you, just for context. So this is what he was supposed to do. But to really understand it, you need to understand that the walls, they look something like this. They were super big walls, two and a half miles of wall, 40 feet high, eight feet thick, eight gates, four towers. Hear me, 4.1 million cubic feet of wall that had to be built. That church was a big vision, but it was possible because it was a God vision. Nothing's too big for God's power, we heard, and nothing's too small for God's heart. So Nehemiah rallied the people, they began the work, and then resistance came. He talked about that last week as well, and I love Nehemiah's response. He said to the people, he said, I answered them, saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start building. God's called us. He's got a vision. We embrace the vision. So now together, we're just going to get her done. And that takes us to chapter three, where we are this morning, where the people actually begin the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This entire chapter is 31 verses of names. That's all it is. 
It's the names of the men and women who put their hands to the work of rebuilding. Men and women who put their faith into action, who rallied together around the shared vision of seeing their community transformed by the grace, favor, and power of God. Men and women who looked out and saw devastation as an opportunity for transformation. It's an incredible list that teaches a powerful lesson. And if I'm honest with you, these are usually the parts of the Bible in my devotional life that I skip over. God's story, God's story, list of names, moving on. Because between you and me, I mean, the names are really hard to pronounce anyway. But this list, hear me, is included in Scripture to remind us that God, he accomplishes his purposes through his people. If we think that the only point of following Jesus, of being obedient and walking into the waters of baptism is to be saved from our sins and to reserve our spot in heaven, we're missing out on part of the most profound aspect of the invitation to follow Jesus. Even his disciples understood from the very beginning that Jesus had something for them to do. How does he call them on the lake shore? Follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Sign up with me, and we're going to get on mission together. As Christians, we aren't just saved from something, are we? We're saved for something. This is how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, you and I, we're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to what? To do. There's something about following Jesus that involves doing. It's his intention his hope for us that we become co-agents of restoration along with him, that under the direction and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we work to restore the devastated places that we find around us. That's both our assignment and it's our very great privilege. Here's the challenge. A lot of Christians have big butts. It's, It's true. It's true. And their big butts hold us back from fulfilling and being fulfilled by our mission. And and I may have lost you there, but I'm going to show you in Scripture that this is true. Moses had a big butt. Abraham had a big butt. And Jeremiah had a big butt. Abraham. God says, I'm going to make you a blessing to generations that follow. And Abraham said, but I'm too old. He said to Moses, I'm going to make you a deliverer of my people. And he said, but I'm not a good speaker. He said to Jeremiah, I'm going to make you my mouthpiece to the nation. And he said, but I'm too young. And each time God's response was the same. Get off your butt and join me on mission together. And Nehemiah chapter three is just that. It's the story of people who collectively responded to both the call and the mission of God for their city and were willing to get off whatever excuse or hindrance or or hiccup that would hold them back to make it happen. Now, sometimes, guys, you'll learn this about me. When, when I get passionate, I, I get kind of loud or I get excited, and people might think I'm angry. If at any point at this, in our time together you think I'm mad at you, hear me say I'm not. I'm really excited about what God has in store for you. And if at any time you, you kind of feel like you're getting poked to get off your butt, can we just agree together in a spirit of love that that's the Holy Spirit and not me? I can't convict you of anything. So this morning, I'm just going to talk to you about the four places in my life that have been my, but God's, that at times I've had to overcome because they were positioned to hinder the work of God in my life. This is, this is how they work. God comes and says, John, join me on mission. 
let's build a wall together. And I'll go, but God, it's not my job. Surely you've got somebody else for that. I remember one day when I was living in Federal Way, I'm driving through the town and, I'm, and I see litter everywhere. And I got a thing about litter, not a fan. And I was getting really irritated. Like somebody ought to do something about this. What's up with our city council? What's up with public works? This is not what our city should look like. It's a poor representation. And I'm starting to get, not excited, but mad. I'm starting to get fired up. And in, you know how sometimes the, the Lord speaks in that still small voice? I just hear the Lord say, you do it. Like legitimately, John, stop your car, get out of your car, and pick up that trash. I'm like, God, it's not my job. But here's the thing. Once God brought it to my attention that way, I had to do something about it. Because while it wasn't my job, God had made it my assignment. This is what we see in Nehemiah 3. Verse 3. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, strategically, the Sheep Gate, it is a brilliant place to start because they're building in the north of the city, and when invading armies would come to attack Jerusalem, they would come from the north. Makes great sense. Spiritually, the Sheep Gate is a great place to start because the Levites would take the sheep through the Sheep Gate into the temple to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Makes great sense. Strategically, spiritually. You know where it makes horrible sense? Practically. If you want to lay the cornerstone to build a church, you do not call the pastor. You call a construction worker. Now, I've learned about Pastor B that he is probably the exception to the rule. Can I just tell you that I got laughed at in my church because I put my tool belt on backwards? This is not who you want to call. And if there was anyone on this project that could be given a pass for not doing this work, it's the high priest. He was, he was in charge of temple worship. He's not some young Levite just, just starting out in his ministry. He is the high priest of Judah. He is a very big deal, but you find him here throwing stone and throwing mortar with everyone else because it may not have been his job. He was a priest but God made it his assignment. And I think about how much humility it must have taken for the high priest of Judah to take off his robes, pick up a trowel, and take instruction from a young stonemason. The priests were not above manual labor. Wasn't their primary skill set, wasn't their responsibility, but they were willing to meet the need that presented itself for the good of their city. And you know what's so profound to me about the fact that they would do that? In John chapter 5, Jesus himself walks through this gate to heal a man who's been crippled for 38 years. Not long after that, Jesus walks through that same gate on his way to the cross to provide healing for you and for me. Church, we have no idea how God might use tomorrow the things that we're willing to do today. Your willingness to do something that isn't your job today may be laying the foundation for someone else's miracle tomorrow. If God makes it my assignment, now I got to go, okay, I'm in. Here's a second place that I tend to get challenged. Is it okay to talk about places I face challenge? Is that all right if I'm not perfect today? I'll be perfect tomorrow. Wendy will tell you. Here's the second one. God says, hey, John, join me on mission. Let's go build a wall together. And I go, God, 
ah, man, that's not really my gift. Now, if you've been in church for a while, especially in leadership trying to recruit volunteers, you've probably heard this one a time or two. Uh, Here's how it usually works. Hey, Bill, not that Bill. Hey, Bill, would you be willing to come serve in children's ministry because that group is growing and we want to provide first-class ministry to our kids and we could really use your help? Now, if Bill wants to be a bit passive in his no, he doesn't want to say no to the pastor right away, uh, he'll respond this way. Can I pray about it? Now, aha, you've used that one. We both know that means no. But if he doesn't want me to bug him next week, he won't say, can I pray about it? He'll just look at me and say, Pastor, I'd I'd love to help. I mean, I really would. But that's just not my gift. Here's what I've come to know about spiritual gifts. Our spiritual gifts are there to help us know where to concentrate our efforts. They're not there to disqualify us from everything else. The beauty and the miracle of what the people of Judah were able to accomplish here stems from the fact that everyone was willing to jump in whether or not it was their gift. Let me show you. I'm not making this up. And and remember when I said the names get weird? Here we go. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Yes, you read that correctly. Perfume makers are building the city back up. If you want to find the exact opposite of a construction worker, find a perfume maker. Been on a lot of job sites, missions trips with guys, and there's never been a point where we're building a building and we're getting after and everybody's sweating. And I look at the guy next to me, you smell purdy. (laughs) It's not what we're known for. But here you find goldsmiths. Perfume makers, craftsmen, stepping out into the street to join in the heavy work with the rest of the community because they found value. They found value in the vision of restoring and renewing and rebuilding rather than, and this is where my heart often gets oriented, rather than in the celebration of their own personal giftedness. It became a matter of look what we can do on behalf of God rather than, hey, everybody, Look what I could do. And there would come a time in the not-too-distant future where their core giftedness as perfume makers and and as goldsmiths were brought to bear and would come into the full service of the community once again, even in worship in the temple. But that day wasn't this day. This day was about the people of God joining together to do whatever it took to provide safety and security to the city because the walls had been torn down And people were vulnerable. And if you and I are willing to do whatever we find before us, to meet the needs that are present as co-agents of restoration, there is no, hear me, there is no, say no. Don't say that to your spouse later, but there is no, there is no limit to what God can do in you and to what God can do through you. We see transformation take place. If we'll get off our, but God, here's the third one where I get challenged. God says, John, come join me on mission. Let's build a wall together. And I go, you know, it's really not my passion. I don't get super excited about that. And and we know that God has wired each of us differently. And there are things that we're uniquely passionate about, just like there are things that we're uniquely gifted in. That's the way it should be. We should be passionate about the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
But there will be other moments where the work before us is neither exciting nor exhilarating, but it needs to get done. Uh, last week, I was, I was back there, and, uh, and by back there, I mean the bathroom, and, and I realized that one of the toilets in the men's bathroom was plugged. Not saying I did it, I'm saying I saw it. And I'm a new guy, so I don't know where to find stuff, so I come out looking for a plunger. And I'm like, hey, Elizabeth, where is there a plunger? And she found one for me, and then the weirdest thing happened. We got in a fight over who was going to unclog the toilet in the men's room. Now, I don't for a moment think that Elizabeth's passion is unclogging toilets. If it is, uh, we'll call a counselor, we'll call the prayer team, we'll figure this out. That would just be odd. But Elizabeth was willing to do whatever it took, no matter how unglamorous it was, to make sure, fellas, that when you walked in the room, you had what you needed. I'm happy to say I won the argument, and though I didn't know how to put on the tool belt, I successfully freed the clog in the toilet. And gentlemen, it is there for your pleasure and your use this morning. I have never before been applauded for unclogging a toilet. I love this church. <laughs> Who's going to do the stinky stuff is not just a 21st century issue. The people of Judah in the city of Israel had to deal with the same thing. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it, put its bolts and doors in place, and they also repaired 1,000 cubits, 450 meters of wall, as far as the dung gate. Here's what that means. We're going to fix this gate. We're going to build to here. I'm not touching that. I do not want the naming rights to the dung gate in the city of Jerusalem. That is not going to be the legacy of my family. But the dung gate had to be built. If you don't build that gate, the city is still open to attack and invasion. So somebody has to step up and do it, which takes us to verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malchiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakaram. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and their bars in place. This gate, the Dung Gate, is on the southeast side of the city. It opened up to the Hinnon Valley, and the prevailing winds would blow through the city, out that gate, and away down the valley. And so this became the city dump because everything would be blown away from the city. The remains of the temple sacrifices were thrown here. Garbage was burnt here. And the sewage was carried out of the city and deposited here. And this man says, I'll take that job on. This is not a great spot. Can you imagine this being your job site? And you're, you're working there and you're trying to do a good job. And it's just people keep tracking stuff in and out because the temple has been rebuilt. It's been reconstituted. So every day, if not every week, they're carrying dead carcasses out. Bob looks at Jeff. He's like, hey, have you seen my hammer? He goes, well, yeah, you dropped it. It bounced down the hill. Look next to the sheep carcass. I mean, this is what these guys had to deal with. It was not glamorous. And Malchiah says, I got this. And there are two things I want you to know about this man. The first is he was a district governor. He was a man of influence and power. Secondly, he also was a goldsmith. He would have been one of the most powerful and most refined men in the city. And yet when the need arose that he likely was not very passionate about, he still felt the responsibility for the good of the whole to step into that space and do what he could do.
I don't know what was going on in his head or in his heart when he did it. I don't know if it was a struggle or if he did it joyfully, but I do know this. What the rest of the community would have considered a dishonorable place to work, this man stepped into that and his name has been recorded for posterity and you and I are talking about his contribution to the kingdom of God this morning. And it is no less valuable than the work at the sheep gate. If it's a struggle for you, like it can be a struggle for me sometimes, to serve in places where you're not really passionate, can, can I tell you how I, I'm trying to get over that? I'm trying to get passionate about Jesus and something remarkable happens. The more passionate I get about Jesus, the less concerned I am about some of the other things I'm passionate about and whether or not I'm willing to do them. I'm going to skip this part of the story, but, but um, come back in the next service. We'll have more time and I'll tell it. Uh, there's one small passage of scripture that talks about a group of men who got really bad press because they were not willing to do the work. It says they wouldn't put their shoulders to the job. And so one of the things that tells us is that our legacy is going to live on. What do we want that legacy to be? I want the legacy, my legacy, I want people to go, you know what? John would set his heart and his hand to whatever task God put before him. And some of the time I do it, and some of the time I don't. I don't want my legacy to be, he was invited into the plans and the purposes of God, but he wouldn't put his shoulder to the work. One way or the other, we're telling a story. What do you want your story to be? So here's, here's the last place where I tend to get challenged. And to be honest, this is often the hardest hurdle for me to get over. John, come join me on mission. Let's build a wall together. God, I don't think I can. I don't think I'm capable. I, I don't think I'm able. I don't think I have what it takes to do what I think you're asking me to do. And the story of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem has something to say about that as well. Very short statement. You can miss it if you aren't looking for it. It's in verse 12. Shalom, it says, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. He repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Most of the commentaries I've read had very little to say about this, but I find it profoundly important because culturally, women were not invited to labor alongside of men. This is not a matter of God's intent. It's not his plan. This is a byproduct of sin. If we look back to the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam and Eve were commissioned together as co-stewards of God's creation. They were co-laborers. They were on the team together. And as we read the rest of the story, we see that as sin infects the world, certain groups begin to exercise power or dominance over others and subjugate them to say to them that you are less than was never God's intention. In fact, he's very intentional in the book of Acts to remove any cultural distinction that would keep a group of people from partnering with God to extend his kingdom. This is what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. All people, 
Sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, the Spirit of God being poured out upon them to empower them to live as a prophetic people, both by what they say and by what they do. And what is pointed out in the book of Nehemiah as as a cultural anomaly, something unusual, women and men working together on the mission of God, is actually a signpost pointing back to Genesis, God's original intent, and forward into the book of Acts where he was going to be incredibly clear that this is his plan and his purpose and his intention for us today. There is a plan and there is a purpose for every single person in the kingdom of God. Go like this. Now go like this. That's who I'm talking to right now. There is a plan and a purpose for you in the kingdom of God. Pastor B said, where there's motion, there's friction. When you begin to press into the things of God, something begins to press back. And this is one of the places where I personally experience friction. Because the enemy of my soul will tell me, and the enemy of your soul will tell you, that the things in your past, whether they're distant past or recent past, that you're embarrassed of or ashamed of, the places where you've failed or you've sinned have disqualified you from being a co-agent of restoration along with God. But scripture is very clear on this point. It says, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And Paul says, we read this a few minutes ago, that as we're made new, he says, we are created, we are made new in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it doesn't matter whether or not you and I feel called or feel capable. God says we're both. And since he made the statement, the onus, the responsibility to fulfill that statement is on him. In other words, God doesn't look out and call those of us who are qualified. God qualifies those of us that he calls, and you are called. Nehemiah, hear me, was an ordinary person. There was nothing in his history that would suggest he was a general contractor qualified to rally a nation and build 4.1 million cubic feet of wall in 52 days, and yet he did. What is God inviting you to build that is beyond what you think you can do? Because it is he who works in you and who wills in you according to his good purpose. It's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of obedience. I heard someone say the greatest ability in the kingdom of God is availability. Here I am, God. Send me. And dependability. God, I'm going to keep showing up. And when we position ourselves before the Lord that way, he he takes care of the rest. I was, driving, I was driving back with a friend of mine yesterday, and, and we were just kind of sharing some of our origin stories. And, and I, learned, I learned stuff about him in that trip that I never knew. And this is a man who's a, he's a leader in his church. He's a discipler of men. And, and when you meet him, you just go, the spirit of the Lord is on this guy. And he starts telling me where he came from. And it just reminded me again what is possible with God. And I looked at him, and I said, aren't you glad We aren't who we were. And in the car, I got a resounding amen. If you want to be a part of what God is up to in the world today, in your family, in your community, but you don't think you can, 
that butt needs to be kicked. And the Holy Spirit is present today to do the kicking. You are important. You are so very important, sons and daughters of the Most High God, to him personally and to his mission in our city, in our county, in our country. Because if God wants to build 4.1 million cubic feet of anything, it takes everybody. None of us are saved for the sidelines. We're saved to get in the game. You are needed and you are necessary. I believe, I believe this profoundly, that we wake, we work, and we worship in the places where God has chosen for us, where he has strategically placed us, because he has a work that he is about, and God accomplishes his purposes through his people. And if you're here, hear me, you are here on purpose and for purpose. And you may not feel that that's true about you. One of the things going on in some of our heads this morning is some of us are listening to this message and you're going, that's true for the person on my right and it's true for the person on my left. You might be home watching us on a screen this morning and going, that's true for everybody in the room, but not for me. Can I just tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell and we break that off of you now in the name of Jesus. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. You are needed you are necessary, you matter to God, and you matter to me. If you're here, you may think you're here by accident this morning. Nope. No. You're here because Jesus loves you and he's about some great things and he wants you to be a part. You're here because God placed you here and you're critical to what he wants to do. You might be thinking, okay, John, I hear you. Uh, James said, faith without works is dead. What should I do? I mean, what do I do? The first thing you do is you say to to God what, what Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Where do you want me to go? If you need a simple, practical next step, next Sunday, we're giving away 7 billion metric tons of candy to kids. He says, by faith. We've got a lot of candy. We don't have all the people we need. We need some people who would say, you know what? I can run a game. How do you run a game? Here's a beanbag. Throw it through that hole. I think you qualified. We have an opportunity this week to do a work of restoration in our community. I love the baptism testimony. I showed up here because of what you were doing in the community. Who's waiting to meet Jesus who may not walk through our doors next Sunday, but they're going to be on C Street. We're building walls around a city together. Maybe you're saying, John, you know, I've already signed up to do that. I'm good. I, I want to do, I want to do more. What else can I do? Come to Pastor Bernie and talk to him. The man is an igniter. He is a mobilizer. Come talk to me. We'll help you find a place where you can make a meaningful impact in our church, but it's not just about a meaningful impact in our church. I want to challenge you to do this. I want, as you leave, even today, as you drive the streets of our city, I want you to ask God to show you where he wants you to build. Because he will. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand to your feet with me. Some of you are like, like, seriously stand up? Yes, seriously stand up. 
Normally at this point in our time together, we close with a, with a song of celebration and worship. We're not gonna sing this morning. And you may go, Pastor John, if we don't sing, we're not done. Exactly. That's my point. We're not done. So we're gonna be singing a song over our community as we leave this building today. We're gonna be singing of the goodness and the greatness of God as we minister in word and in deed, as we love people on behalf of Jesus. So I'm gonna speak a blessing over you. It's a priestly blessing, the words of Aaron, because I believe you are commissioned, and Peter would agree with me in scripture, that you are a kingdom of priests, which means you are to leave and minister on behalf of the most high God in a way that is uniquely you. Can we do that? All right, at least half of us are gonna get her done this week. I'm trusting the rest of you just don't get as worked up as I am, and you're saying yes as well. I'm gonna speak this over you. The worship team is gonna sing a chorus over us as we leave that says, "If God, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Because you're not dead and he's not done. So may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace as you love people on his behalf. If we can pray for you, we want to pray for you. If you want to serve with us, we want to serve with you. Have a great week, and let's be Jesus in our city. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.